0: Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. hacker Talk about a fried egg. I lasted about five minutes out there. I said, to heck with this. I'll do this in the morning. And I don't have any inside information. The lady that did it, she got in there. I mean, she made it happen. And he doesn't shy away
1: from opinion.
0: And I do enjoy drinking cold beer at ballparks. So if that makes me a baseball fan, then I'm a diehard baseball fan.
1: It's Hacker
2: After Dark on 1010XL.
0: And a very good Tuesday night to you Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Our late night show. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you something. Where else would you rather be at 10.03 Eastern Standard Time on a Tuesday night than right here on Hacker After Dark? And we certainly appreciate... You staying up late with us each and every Tuesday night. We got some college football that we will discuss. The exit of Jim Harbaugh and kind of what his legacy is in the world of college football. The Senior Bowl going on in Mobile, Alabama. Florida has hired a special teams uh, consultant, coach, if you will. So there is a lot to get into on the college football surface. With that, our buddy Brenton Beard, you see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. He will join us in about 35 minutes. Coming up in about 15 minutes or less, Jamal St. Cyr of Channel 4 as we will look at the Jaguars and what's transpired over the last three weeks since the season ended. And in the 11 o'clock hour, a little high school spotlight tonight, Justin Barney of Channel 4. They did reclassifications In high school football, brand new districts all over the place. And there are a lot of people that are not very happy about these new districts. We'll talk to Justin Barney about all that. And a brand new head football coach in our area out of Baldwin High School. Head coach Don Velvet takes over the reins for Rob Shields, who is stepping away. And we will have Coach Velvet on later on during the high school spotlight. So we got high school ball we got college ball, we got NFL, we're with you till midnight, and we are certainly glad you are staying up late with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan, Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? Oh, it is a big deal on Hacker After Dark. 23 days now removed from the biggest collapse in Jacksonville Jaguar history. It's been primarily negative conversations about the Jaguars, but as I did last week, and as we start getting further along into the offseason, at least before the new league calendar starts, I'm going to try to point out some positives that happen amidst the biggest collapse in Jaguar history there at the end of the year. Last week, I singled out Trayvon Walker and his production towards the end of the year as a positive. Tonight, it's all about Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is now a pro bowler. He is in replacing Travis Kelsey, who is getting ready for Super Bowl Fifty Eight. Evan Ingram should have been a pro bowler before today. Evan Ingram had one of the greatest single-season receiving seasons in tight end history in the National Football League, 114 catches for Evan Ingram. So here is my appreciation tonight for Evan Ingram. He was a guy that was drafted in the first round of the New York Giants Did some positive things up in New York, but as my giant buddies will tell you, they were happy to see him go amidst injuries and drops, and it just did not work out with Evan Ingram and the Big Apple. He comes to Jacksonville in 2022, signs a one-year prove-it deal, and in that one-year prove-it deal, he has more catches than any other tight end in the history of, Of the Jaguar franchise. As a result of that. The Jaguars used the franchise tag on him a year ago. He gets rewarded with a long-term deal. He comes back after getting his money. And all he does is become the second Jaguar in franchise history. To have a hundred or more catches in a single season. Equaling what Jimmy Smith did. Now Jimmy did it twice. But Jimmy and Evan Ingram, the only two guys that have ever done it for the Jaguars, 100 catches in a single year. Evan Ingram finished with 114 catches overall, too shy of the NFL record for tight ends, which Zach Ertz holds that record of 116 grabs back in 2018. Evan Ingram was a beast this year. He was a monster this year. You talk about the best tight ends in the National Football League. At the top of the list is Travis Kelsey. Right underneath him, you can have a conversation about Mark Andrews in Baltimore, George Kittle probably in San Francisco. And then other than those three, I think Evan Ingram's in the conversation with everybody else. Evan Ingram to me is in the conversation with David Njoku in Cleveland with Laporta in Detroit, with Hawkinson when he's healthy in Minnesota. A lot of good tight ends out there, and I get it. But the Jaguars have one of the best in Evan Ingram. And you talk about best free agent signings in franchise history, Evan Ingram's on that list as well. He's on that list with our guy Leon Searcy. He's on that list with Calais Campbell. Evan Ingram has been nothing short of sensational his two years here in Jacksonville. So it's okay to point out some positives amidst the biggest collapse in franchise history. And one of those positives, one of those gigantic positives in 2023 was the play of Evan Ingram. And he gets rewarded today by officially now being named a Pro Bowler for the American Football Conference. And congratulations to Evan Ingram for that accomplishment. 641 on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. More on the Jaguars and the National Football League coming up with Jamal St. Cyr of Channel 4. He is less than 10 minutes away. So Denmark, I saw this earlier today. We're going to talk college ball with Brent Beard later on in the broadcast. We'll do some more college talk later on in the week. Connor O'Garris, SaturdayDownSouth.com, scheduled to join us later on in the week. As we start preparing for what will be the biggest college football season of all time, remember, it's going to start on August the 24th. It will not end until January 20th. You're going to have five months of college football with the 12-team playoff. But I got a kick out of this. I'm not exactly sure what week in the regular season this is going to be in 2024. I can find that for you very quickly. But listen to some of these conference matchups. Two key words there. Conference matchups in the 2024 college football season. All of these games will transpire in the same week. You're going to have an ACC clash between SMU and Duke. On that same weekend, another ACC clash. Wake Forest and Stanford. Nothing, says Atlantic Coast Conference football, like Southern Methodist taking on Duke and like Wake Forest traveling to Stanford. You're going to have a battle in the Big 12 between West Virginia and Arizona. Don't forget other Big 12 matchups that same week. BYU and UCF. Cincinnati and Colorado, and, of course, that big Big 12 matchup between Utah and Houston. In the Big Ten that week, just some gigantic Big Ten games, Illinois at Oregon, Rutgers at Southern Cal. I mean, the, the, the history of the Big Ten, the pageantry of the Big Ten, Rutgers and Southern Cal jumps right to mine. Also in the Big Ten that week, Washington travels to Indiana to take on the Hoosiers. And then finally, that same weekend in the Southeastern Conference, you will have Oklahoma at Ole Miss, and you will have the big SEC battle between Texas and Vanderbilt. Love it. Denmark, we got seven months to wrap our minds around this, a little less than seven months now. That's weird, man. That is weird stuff, you think about all those conference matchups that are going to happen on the same weekend.
3: Yeah, and, you know, if you're older and, you know, you're really into into tradition, you know, it's kind of hard to adapt. But, you know, for myself, like, all I've known is just adapting. Like, NIL, all right, it's it's normal now. The transfer portal, okay, it's normal now. You know, it's – I don't know. I I love the the, the way the sport is going. I mean, if if college football were a stock – I feel like it's the Amazon stock for about 15, 20 years ago, and like it's gonna do nothing but go up. Um, like we've all known that college football has been the second biggest sport in the country for a long time, and I think it's finally going to get covered, like the second biggest sport. You know, too many times when you turn on ESPN, like now you hear about the NBA, or you know, even when you get to October, November, December, and I feel like college football now is going to be talked about more because of you're going to get more big games, you're going to have a playoff, there's going to be more teams that are going to be talked about trying to get into the playoff. It is going to be weird, it's going to be hard to adjust, but, I mean, it's good for the sport.
0: You think college football is the second biggest sport?
3: Yeah, I mean, who's second?
0: Well, I mean, if you go by attendance, sure, because there are stadiums. I mean, well, uh, it depends where you live in the country. New York City and Los Angeles and Chicago and... You know, Seattle, Washington. Yeah, I mean the big cities.
3: They're going to be. They're going to be all
0: NBA, then, right? You know, the NBA and maybe even major league baseball. I hear you. Down here, it's maybe the biggest sport. It's funny as I've gotten older. I think I used to be like sixty forty college to NFL. I've reversed that as I've gotten older. I think I'm more an NFL guy now, primarily because we do so much with the Jaguars here on Ten Ten XL. Uh, I still love college football. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But but,
3: but not just the Jags, the NFL as a whole. You feel like you like the NFL more as a whole yes. more than you do college football as a whole. Yes, I okay. do.
0: And I think some of that has to do with fantasy football. Yeah. I think some of that has to do with things that we do on the radio station and covering the Jags and covering other teams. You know, I, I would say when I program the show during the football season... I mean, you tell me you're here every night it's too. It's mostly jacks. I would say it's probably 65/35 NFL coverage to college coverage.
3: Yeah, that's but right. But I
0: do think, you know, it's one th- it's you can't really promote Florida Vanderbilt. Like we're not going to get a Vandy correspondent on Hacker After Dark. But when Florida plays Texas this year, we're going to talk a lot more about that game. So from that standpoint, I think you're right.
3: Yeah, and the thing is like in the NFL, like the margin of error between the best team and the worst team, is it's not that It's not that much. You know, like Florida Vanderbilt, like we all know Florida has better players than Vanderbilt, even when Florida's not that good. And the coaching and the resources and the money, it's just completely different. Now you're having, I mean, you're going to have like five, six consecutive weeks of big-time football games where yeah. teams that are evenly matched between players and coaches, and I which will, is where it should be.
0: I will tell you this, I mean – I think I got a pretty good idea because I've been doing it so long. You go back 20, 21 years, when I was just starting out on 930 as Dempsey's producer, we did more college football probably back then, even Mike, uh, in this city. But I think as we've got all gotten older and the Jaguars have gotten more established and as we've, you know, the,
3: the clock well,
0: has turned.
3: And I, also the NFL is easier to cover because yeah. it's more structure. We all know there's a salary cap. We all know – Okay, you have the season. Okay, then you have free agency. Then you have the draft. But and but what my point camps. is, it
0: has changed. Uh, on our station, college football back then was probably sixty five thirty five over the NFL. Now we didn't carry the Jaguars on nine thirty. We carried Florida, which might have been some reasoning as to why. But even if we didn't have the Jags, I mean, we're always gonna have the Jags here on ten ten XL. The Jaguars have surpassed Florida, but. My point in all of this is you bring in the 12-team playoff, you bring in the NIL, you bring all this change to the game of college football. It's got me intrigued. I'll use a Frank Francism there. It's got me intrigued about what's going to transpire. I think it's going to be the biggest college football season we've ever seen. I just think it's going to be odd to wrap my mind around the fact that you're going to have an ACC matchup between Wake Forest and Stanford and SMU and Duke. And, of course, that Big Ten clash – between Rutgers and Southern Cal, that will certainly take some getting used to. There is absolutely no doubt about that. We'll do some more college football talk coming up with Brent Beard. He's about 30 minutes or so away. Coming up next, let's get back in to the aforementioned Jacksonville Jaguars. My buddy Jamal St. Cyr, you see him on Channel 4. He's one of our guys here on Hacker After Dark, and he joins me to recap the last three weeks, and what a three weeks it's been for the Jags since the season came to an untimely ending. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Our late night show. Jacksonville, we appreciate you staying up late with us. Right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the all-pro roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 58 is all set it'll be the Kansas City Chiefs once again and the San Francisco 49ers boy heartbreak for both Baltimore and Detroit of course we know all about that here in Jacksonville we're well into the offseason and there has been a ton that has transpired in the last three weeks with all that being said let me welcome in my buddy Jamal St. Saire of Channel 4 always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville Jamal how we doing? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Hacker? Jamal, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. You and I talked three weeks ago. You were fresh back from Nashville after watching whatever that was to end the year. And man, a lot has gone on with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's just pick it up from that point to where we are now. Mike Caldwell out as Jaguar defensive coordinator. Ryan Nielsen in as Jaguars new defensive coordinator. Jamal, your thoughts on that that move the Jaguars decided to make?
2: You know, when they fired the defensive staff like that, I kind of looked at it and said, well, somebody's got to take the fall for this, and it feels like they had to point the finger somewhere. Um, because I don't think the defense was ultimately the problem for a lot of the season. I mean, for a lot of the wins, we could look at it and say the defense were the reason the Jaguars were there. But... Sometimes you, when you're trying to get to that next level, you got to look at it and say it might not be a problem, but it's not the solution, if that makes sense. And I think Ryan Nielsen is an upgraded defensive coordinator. I'm a big uh, Nielsen fan. When the Jaguars had an opening and started going through him, he was at the top of my list immediately just because of some of the philosophies, how well he's recommended by players throughout the league. Um, and what he was able to do last year with a Falcons defense that, look, to be frank, I don't even think many Falcons fans will sit here and make an argument that they have more defensive talent than what the Jaguars have on the roster right now. Like the Falcons certainly don't have a Josh Allen and a Trayvon Walker. So all of a sudden he walks in the door after making a Falcons defense, that the defense that was, uh, look, didn't have a whole lot of tools to work with, very competitive in here in Jacksonville. And you say, okay. Maybe his defense does do a few things differently than Mike, and they'll need to add some pieces to fit what he wants to do this offseason. But this defense should look a lot different and should be pretty good next season. I mean, look, I think this guy's really good. I think he's a big addition to the team, a big addition to the coaching staff, and it should be really good for what the Jaguars are doing forward.
0: Nielsen, a defensive line background compared to Mike Caldwell, obviously a linebacker background. Do you think that played into it wanting to develop Trayvon Walker, obviously having Josh Allen, they wanted a defensive line type of guy?
2: No, you know, I think the defensive line thing maybe helps. Um and he comes highly recommended for that. I think they wanted a guy who's known as a teacher. He is known as a teacher around the NFL. I mean, Cam Jordan with the New Orleans Saints raved about him before when the Falcons hired him about how he helped him and that was him going to a division rival and many of the falcons players talked about all last season how attack and aggressive were the two words that described their defense from day one under nielsen so i think it's those little caveats that really endeared him to what doug peterson wants to do on the staff and is going to endear them to uh these jaguars players i think bill shuey has done a fantastic job with Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker. And I think that's why he was one of the few defensive coaches that kept his job uh, here in Jacksonville because of the work he was able to do with them. Um, Look, it doesn't hurt that Ryan Nielsen has that defensive line background, right? And you try and get the most out of Trayvon Walker, who's coming off his second season that saw a big jump in production. But I think it's that teaching background because last year with the defense, despite some of the highs, there were the lows of the miscommunications and guys looking confused out there on the field and the, the excuses after a primetime game of the home crowd was too loud. That stuff doesn't make sense. When you brought back your entire defensive starting lineup from a year ago, that was year two in the defense and guys were blowing coverages and couldn't communicate out there on the field. At some point, that's a classroom issue because if you've got veteran guy, it's one thing if it's, first, second year guys that are scattered throughout the field that weren't supposed to play. But these were players that had been there in the league for three, four, five years on their second, some third teams. And all of a sudden, none of them know what the call is or how to communicate when it's loud. That doesn't make sense. So that's a classroom issue. I think they went and got Ryan Nielsen because the first word that when you start looking up his name, that tends to pop up is teacher. He's very hands-on. He knows how to communicate with his guys, and I think that's a solution to a problem that we saw far too often last year.
0: Jamal St. Sarah of Channel 4 here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Yeah, it'd be nice to have guys not fair catching touchdowns moving forward. I can joke who did against the Jaguars in Cleveland or having Derrick Henry running through a gap as wide as the Pacific Ocean like he did with the Titans there to end the season and to end the Jaguars' playoff hopes. And then, Jamal, that gets us to last week and that, I guess I'd call it weird, <laughs> Trent Baalke, uh press conference. Look, I think balky had to talk. I think people were getting upset that he had not talked yet. I don't think he did any favors. No, I don't think if you went in not liking Trent balky literally nothing he said was going to change your mind. But man alive, from the haven't begun negotiations with Josh Allen, which again was a weird answer, weird thing to say publicly, to just everything that transpired last week at that presser, what did you make of that?
2: So there are a couple of things that I walked away with. Um, The first one was that he was pointing the finger at everybody but himself, it seemed like. Um, you know, bl- blaming the strength and conditioning of not being competitive enough. And, you know, the scheme wasn't just right and we didn't have an identity. And then he, he doubled down. And the one honest thing he said, and I'm not even sure he realized that that finger was pointing back at him, was that the football team needs to get bigger, stronger, and more physical. And he said that multiple times. And I said, does he realize that he's been the Jaguars general manager for three years now? And if they're not a big enough, strong enough and physical enough football team, that's his fault mm-hmm. because he has signed off on every player that has come to Jacksonville for three years. He's turned over this roster. So if they're not big enough, strong enough and physical enough, you can blame nobody but Trent Baalke for every step of that process. Now, he gets another year to try and fix it. Uh, how much confidence do we have that he can turn it around? I, guess we're going to have to wait and see what he decides to ultimately do. I'm not sure if maybe him just saying that out loud finally rang a bell in his head that said, oh, maybe I have been making mistakes. Who knows? Um, we'll see. But, you know, and then the the one other thing that I, with the Josh Allen thing, look, I will be stunned. I will be absolutely stunned. And I've said I've felt this way for a while. If they get Josh Allen done, if he doesn't end up on the franchise tag, at least for a little while to buy more time. I will be absolutely stunned. I just don't think Trent is that motivated to get that deal done. I think Josh has earned it. I think they should pay him top-level money because of what he's done here in Jacksonville. The Jaguars have a reputation of not paying their guys, and it's time to end that reputation because that does not endear you to players around the league. Um, And that does matter when you start trying to attract free agents – I think they got to pay Josh. I don't think they should franchise tag him. I think they should offer him, probably make him the first $100 million man in Jaguars history. But I don't think that's what Trent's going to do. I think Trent's going to tag him and eat up that time and try and get a deal done before camp. That's just what I expect from what I've seen from him over the time.
0: And I wouldn't doubt that, and that potentially costs you Calvin Ridley. We'll see, because you can only franchise one of them. The other one will become a free agent on March 11th, which by the way is in 6 weeks. I mean, it's not 6 months from now. They got to figure out this stuff in the next couple of weeks before the league calendar begins. Jamal, you cover the team every day, man. You're at every press conference, every locker room session. There's a lot of a lot of stuff floating out there. And the Jaguars potentially could have put some of that to bed from a perception standpoint last week if they would have had two chairs at that table at the press conference, Doug Peterson and one and Trent Balky in the other, and heck, maybe even throw Shad Khan in the mix to show a cohesive unit. They decided not to do that. It was Trent Balky by himself, and he's saying, "Oh yeah, we're good. Well, we're we're more tighter now than ever." or Whatever verbiage he used to describe he and Doug Peterson. Um, I'm not sure if I believe that, Jamal. What are your thoughts?
2: <laughs> Look, I think uh, I think Trent Balky must be fantastic in parties and meeting rooms with these owners, because for whatever reason in San Francisco, the ownership loved him. And he was there through all these coaching changes and they bought everything he had to say. And I think here in Jacksonville, SodCon and loves Trent because Trent is here. Um, I'm not sure if Trent and Doug are on the same page at this point. I'm not. Trent said it was a false narrative. I don't know. Look, I thought there were cracks that kind of started to show at times last year um, around the draft, maybe in that relationship, just from how the body language when they were up there at the same time. One would say something and you'd kind of look and say, huh, OK, um, I, I'm, I'm really not sure. I It's interesting, you know, sometimes those relationships we've all had co-workers that you know everything was hunky-dory and then people start to show their true selves especially when those struggles start to pop up and based on some of those reports if you know Trent is handling some things behind closed doors the way people have been throwing around that he has I can understand that rubbing rubbing Doug the wrong way and rubbing some of the other coaches the wrong way Um, I'm not sure But if there's cracks in it, at some point, that becomes a track record. I know that's a track record that Trent doesn't love and has never really acknowledged, but it is a track record. And we will see what happens, and I'll tell you, if things start to go south here, then all of a sudden that narrative just becomes louder because that will be a big part of it.
0: Jamal St. Sayre of Channel 4. Jamal, we'll probably have you on at least one more time prior to free agency. But as we said, I mean, it's six weeks from now. It's right around the corner. It's already been three weeks since the season ended. They're a third of the way between the season ending and the league calendar starting. What do you think over the next six weeks? Obviously, Allen and Ridley are the two main guys, but Ezra Cleveland, Trey Herndon, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. And you also got guys like Cam Robinson, uh, maybe Rayshon Jenkins, guys that's futures, are certainly up in the air right now.
2: Look, I I told you, I think they're going to tag Josh Allen. Um, Ultimately, I think that's just where it's going to land at. I don't think that's the ideal way to do things, like I said, but I think they're going to tag Josh Allen. I think they're going to try and get something quietly done with Ridley and ask him to sign it a little bit later on. Um, But I am in the camp that some team is going to show up at his door with a big old bag of money and swoop him off his feet. Um, so I, I don't think Calvin is ultimately going to be here. I think somebody's going to throw a big contract at him. I just think he's a good player. Um, Jaguars have some work to do with those veteran contracts. Some tough decisions um, on which one of those guys they should bring back. I would be surprised if they don't end up losing a couple of guys, a Cam Robinson, your Rayshon Jenkins, and then trying to restructure a few of those other deals to free up some space. Um, The hard part is they can free up a lot of money with some post-June cuts, too. So that part doesn't really help you in free agency. Um, So there's some work to do. And part of that Ryan Nielsen defense is they got to do some work with the DBs. I don't think Trey Herndon will be coming back. I'd be surprised there. Uh, They'll probably have a new nickel next year just because Nielsen wants to play more man coverage. And part of that is upgrading those corners to guys that that play man coverage. right now. They don't have a nickel that can do that. And there's also the question mark of Darius Williams, because they could move on from Darius and save a whole bunch of money. So there, they have a few questions that they got to get answered and make some, some tough decisions on what the future of this team is going to look like over the next couple of weeks, right there before free agency. So at, cornerback is a is a need that nobody really wants to hear because we all keep talking about the big guys but cornerbacks a need because even if you keep darius around technically speaking tyson and darius are both in the last years of their contract so you right now who's your starting corners next the year after next you don't have anybody so when we start getting closer to the draft and looking at free agency those are needs that while they may not be they're not immediate for this next football season but they're down the road needs that have to be addressed
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that's clear between last offseason and this offseason, last offseason they ran it back, not a lot of player movement. That will not be the case over the next six weeks this time around. You're going to have a lot of guys being let go, a lot of guys being uh, re-signed, restructured, and a lot of free agents, maybe middle-tier guys, being brought in here to Jacksonville. Final moments, Jamal St. Cyr of Channel 4. Jamal, as we mentioned at the top, we have a Super Bowl uh, Kansas City again San Francisco it's a rematch of four years ago Mahomes got his first Lombardi trophy when he beat the 49ers in Super Bowl 54 now here we are entering Super Bowl 58 early thought from you on the Chiefs and the 49ers
2: well, this is an interesting one at this point I just you can't stop Kansas City right yeah <laughs> everybody thought all year long that their offense wasn't on track and oh, this is the year. If you're going to take down the Chiefs, you can do it this year. And all of a sudden, just at the right time, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, just do what Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey seem to do every year in the playoffs. And they roll right on through. And now San Francisco, who everybody expected to be there, but they got the best shot from the Lions who just collapsed in the second half. Now they are there. So now you got San Francisco and Kansas City. Look, I think this is going to be a good game. Uh, it, I'd be hard pressed not to pick the Chiefs at this point because we, we doubted the Chiefs every step of the way. It was like, oh, okay, well they won't be playing at Arrowhead. That'll be that'll be it. Ravens will run through them. They can't do it on the road. Patrick Mahomes has never done it on the road. He just goes and does it on the road and makes it look easy. Like that, de- the Chiefs defense is legit, and I think we all doubted that team because they had to do it differently this year because we were so used. it being Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey having to put up 40 and then now that Chiefs defense has so many studs on it that they're out there just throttling people and Patrick Mahomes doesn't have maybe as many tools in the toolbox this year and they're just putting up just enough points to win football games and it's different than what we had grown to expect from them that we forget that A good defense, you know, there's an old saying that defense wins championships. Well, that still stands true. And both of these teams have good defenses. And Patrick Mahomes is so talented that he's still going to pull one or two just wow moment plays out of his pocket during the middle of the game. And that is all they really need when his defense is playing lights out the way they have. So, look, I think it's the Chiefs game to lose at this point. I've doubted him all year. I'm not going to doubt him in this one because – Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes just get the job done every time. I don't know. (laughs)
0: Uh, You know, I hear you. And, of course, the Jaguars played both of these teams and got outscored a combined 51-12 to in two losses to San Francisco and Kansas City this year. So it goes to show you how far the Jaguars still need to go. Jamal St. Cyr of Channel 4. Jamal, appreciate it, man. We'll do it hopefully one more time before free agency. We'll see where we're at in a couple of weeks.
2: All right, yeah, anytime, Hacker. Appreciate you.
0: Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The end of January, the beginning of February. Hard to believe spring football for some schools begins in just a couple of weeks. We got the Senior Bowl going on out in Mobile, Alabama. We got Jim Harbaugh leaving the world of college football and we have a new special teams coach, it appears, in Gainesville. There's a ton to get into. With that, let me welcome in my friend Brent Beard. You see him weekly there on First Coast News, and you also get him right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, sir?
4: Well, I'm doing well. We uh, still have a lot to uh, discuss, uh, but because there's still just a whole lot that's going on uh, uh, with, with the Portland NIL coaches moving around, Uh, and so forth Hank but always nice to be with you.
0: Always appreciate the conversation. Let's dive right in Brent with the Florida Gators. Uh, Basketball's been on the up and up three straight wins now they got a big one tomorrow night in Lexington there at Rupp Arena which probably won't bode well for them if we're going by history Um, but nevertheless Todd Golden appears to have turned a corner. Billy Napier as we talked about last week Brent has got some nice additions to the roster. Is starting to fill out the staff. We talked about a guy that's going to come in from the National Football League to help on special teams. Before we really dive into that, just a broad overview between basketball, football, obviously Gator fans and their thoughts on Scott Strickland, the AD. Brent, kind of where are you right now with where Gator Athletics is?
4: I, I mean, what I hear from Gator fans – And you hear it like I do, if you're in the grocery store, you're in church, you're in the gym, wherever you are, they want the program to be better. Uh, In a lot of Gator fans' minds, uh, the program, frankly, is – it's not uh, – it's not in the dumpster. It's certainly not winning championships except for a few sports. Uh, but I think most gator fans would say it's probably mediocre and I think what is difficult about that is at some point uh, or or gator fans accepting mediocrity when that should not be going on. I mean Florida frankly to me is a gold mine uh, in terms of uh, facilities and weather and uh, population in the whole nine yards uh, and uh, I think people rightfully so are going to be asking uh, why are these programs not better now obviously baseball is on top of the uh, the hill um, I mean obviously they are doing um, you know the softball uh, gymnastics some of the other sports certainly have had their time uh, but but Heck, is that is that fair? Uh, that it's. I think at this point, uh, the, the the program is kind of considered the uh, middle of the pack, uh, with hopes that it gets better.
0: Well, that's the interesting thing. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but going off of memory, I think since Scott Strickland arrived in Gainesville, they have seven national championships in various sports. I think 37 like conference championships when you include golf, gymnastics, softball, you know, track and field, you name it. But obviously, the two big ones, men's basketball and football, they are average to below average. And Brent, as you and I know very well, those are the two sports. And throw in baseball, you're right about yeah. that. Sprinkle in a little bit of baseball there. Those are the sports that most of our audience cares about.
4: Yeah, yeah, uh, well, and they bring in the most revenue also. Uh, and that's important. So, I mean, they want to get back to, and look, we all know this football program after Dan Mullen left, it's going to take a while to uh, get going again. Uh, but you and I both also know uh, that patience wears thin. Now, it was incredibly important. I thought that Billy Napier hired a special teams coach, Joe Houston, that comes over from the Patriots. Let's be honest, Hank, they, their special teams cost them what last year? Probably three games maybe. Uh, and uh, you, you look at that Arkansas game particularly when you've got what seemed like a 100 players on the field at one time before the field goal. Uh, so uh, but, but anyway, that, it, it, that, that was a good move. What's well, going to be harder for him, uh, to, to let go of and my, my big question is will he also hire an offensive coordinator that a lot of people think he needs too
0: yeah I agree and at this point of the off season, I would say that's very very doubtful because you would have done it by now I mean Florida hasn't played a game in two months you know they're on the field right. for spring practice in a little over a month right I mean I, that hay is in the barn I think whether you like it or not Billy Napier is going to be calling plays again. Back to the special teams aspect, to me, that at least shows growth, right? People would yes. argue that Billy Napier's been a little stubborn with all the responsibilities that he has. Well, if he's willing to bring in a guy to help on special teams, if nothing else, that's showing some growth that Napier knows he needs a little assistance.
4: Well, when it looks special teams, the people don't pay much attention to it until something goes wrong such as the ball centered over the, the punter's head. or
0: You have two guys uh, on the field with number three? Yes,
4: it, with the same number. Uh, or uh, you've got a, uh, a 40-yard field goal that, because of the penalty, becomes a 45-yard penalty uh, or f- f- field goal, and it's missed by two yards, where if you're kicking it for 40, it probably goes through.
0: Yeah, it was a comedy of errors on special teams. Hopefully that will be remedied with the arrival of Coach Houston from the New England Patriots. Again, Brent Beard here with us. You get him on First Coast News. You also get him every week right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, when it comes to Florida State and Georgia, obviously things are never really quiet. Florida State has done very well in the portal. They're doing very well, it appears now, in high school living rooms. Mike Norvell picking up some traction on the recruiting trail, including getting some very, very well thought of players.
4: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And they've got one player who's a quarterback now. Now, <laughs> you understand this like me, like uh, unlike few uh, do in in how these rankings work. Uh, kind of mystically, <laughs> uh, the rival services upgrade their rankings uh, a few weeks before. The final signing day on three has done their final rankings, and I may mispronounce this, but the Florida State signee Luke uh, Kromanhawk.
0: Oh, that's a good job, Mister Baird. That's exactly I, I right. We got
4: close to that. Do <laughs> do we, we get close to that, hack?
0: Oh, you're good.
4: Uh, that he is now a five-star quarterback signee, and this is the first since quarterback signing that's a five story since Jameis Winston. So I mean obviously Jameis Winston was the previous decade, so that probably tells you something about quarterback recruiting, although you can still argue that a lot of these uh, a lot of their quarterbacks have been uh, pretty solid quarterbacks. So I think that helps. if people miss this, Rick stockstill, the former um, Florida State quarterback under Bobby Bowden, Uh, Was at Middle Tennessee for seems like half her life, Whitney Hack. Uh, Now they unfortunately they fired him and they have named him director of scouting for offense. Uh, That's kind of interesting, Um, but but that's where he is now. And again, the Florida State schedule is out. Um, Interesting. Uh, um, Obviously, Georgia Techs and Ireland. Uh, the Labor Day night game with Boston College, I'm sure, drew a few yawns. They do have an interesting game with Memphis, Mike Orbell's former school. They play Cal, uh, too, and they've got Duke on a Friday night. And they go to Notre Dame in November, which could be fascinating. Could be uh, snowy up there, too. So, uh, yes, uh, more... More good news than anything with Florida State.
0: Yeah, I remember a Florida State at Notre Dame game in November uh, back in, say, 1993. That was pretty memorable. Maybe we'll get a similar situation in South Bend this year. And you piqued my interest with Luke Cromanhawk Brent. It's interesting, and maybe it's just a coincidence, but it's been over a decade since Florida State had gotten a five-star quarterback. Same thing for Florida, right? D.J. Lagway is the first five-star since yes. I believe Driscoll, right? So you got to go back ten years plus for both Florida and Florida State, and yet they accomplish it in the same recruiting cycle. Could be a coincidence, but interesting nonetheless.
4: Absolutely. So I mean that's that's good news for a school right now uh, that needs some good news. And again, we'll get into this another time. But they are still leaving the ACC. And and a lot of this is being worked out, uh, basically probably between between lawyers and accountants is what it amounts to. So we will... We will continue to follow that situation very closely.
0: You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, nothing says Atlantic Coast Conference football like that big Florida State Cal matchup coming up here in 2024. (laughs) No question about that. Brent, Jim Harbaugh says goodbye to college football. He leaves with a national championship as he took the job last week with the L.A. Chargers. Uh, Your thoughts on Harbaugh, what he meant to Michigan, and how he'll be remembered in the college ranks.
4: Well, he will be. I mean, as quirky as he was, and there's nothing wrong with that because we we all have them. I mean, he really did a good job uh, his last few years. Uh, and what people will remember is, is him beating Ohio State uh, on a – um, on a constant basis, and that's something they really were not able to do when a national championship. And I think the thing that, that they did not only did they win a championship, but they did it in a, a old school way, uh, meaning we're going to stop the run and run the ball and you try to stop us. And people were not able to do that. Now, one thing that really is going is going hurt Michigan, is the head strength and conditioning coach, Ben Herbert, uh, is going to the Chargers with Harbaugh. Uh, look, you would, you would think that Herbert uh, was uh, a coordinator making $3 million a year uh, as far as the respect that people have for him. But I will say this, if you get the right strength and conditioning coach, he sets the tone for the program. So um, Horball I really was kind of hoping he'd stay. I mean, look, even with, even with his flaws, um, particularly with – and I'm just curious about this. This sounds odd, but I'm going to say this anyway. With Nick Saban retiring, there are a lot of people who, who would have said that Horball may have been the face and the voice of college football even on a maybe a, certainly a smaller scale than Saban would have been. What I mean by that is, do you remember the press conference that he had after winning the national championship? They started asking him questions about what do we do to save college football? And he frankly gave some decent answers. Uh, it was kind of more the NFL model uh, to, to to copy that. So you put all that together, uh, I don't know how he will do in the NFL. That, that's a carrot, a lot of coaches chase. Uh, he's there, obviously, with his brother uh, playing in the same league. But he, he will be missed. And I know that, that they basically promoted their offensive coordinator. And I'm just telling you right now, Hack, uh, he did a good job for six games with Harbaugh being suspended But these smooth transition things don't always work out, do they?
0: No, they don't. Final moments with Brent Beard. And it's interesting, two observations there. Number one, we had a mass exodus in Tuscaloosa when Saban announced his retirement. We had a mass exodus in Seattle when DeBoer left to go to Alabama, all these kids entering the portal. Brent, it's only been a week, right? I mean, there's still 25-some-odd days for these Michigan kids. But you haven't heard a lot of people nope. from Michigan entering the nope. portal. So I think that gives the benefit of promoting from within the staff.
4: Yeah, yeah, it is for that one. Now, my question is, look, do you always make those decisions because the players want somebody on their staff to be the, to be promoted to the head coach? Well, sometimes that works real well, i.e. Dabo Sweeney, uh, but sometimes it really doesn't. Uh, or maybe what it actually does, it gives your administration what two or three years to maybe quietly look and see if someone else might be interested if it doesn't work. So uh, sometimes it's a quick fix, but it causes you problems down the
0: road. And absolutely crazy that of the four playoff teams in college football less than, what, a month ago, right? three yeah. of those guys are gone Sabin retires oh, <laughs> Harbaugh's in the NFL Kalen DeBoer from Washington to Alabama and the only guy left at his school that he was at a month ago was Steve Sarkisian there at Texas all right Brent final thought your home state the state of Alabama the senior bowl in Mobile you've been out there several times I've been out there several times really is amazing how much bigger that thing gets NFL media descends on that city And, boy, they talk about the draft starts in Mobile, and that's never been more evident than in the last few years with the caliber of talent they're getting for that game. It's basically a pre-scouting combine, and I know how much it means to that city.
4: Look, it is the crown jewel uh, of the city, and they bend over backwards uh, in order to uh, – make that accommodating, make that easy for people who are there. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of uh, – I don't know if you get, besides maybe the Super Bowl, heck, do you get as many media and coaches uh, and owners and general managers, uh, et-, et cetera, et cetera, in one location – um as you do there and and frankly don't we get a lot more out of that than we would ever get out of this silly pro bowl and what they've done with that that probably just really needs to be done away with frankly just have a banquet honor everybody and away you go uh but and the other thing is and i've talked a lot of media about this they say you know we enjoy going Uh, for the senior bowl, but the game really doesn't mean anything as as close to what, to what the week means in hearing these guys. Some of them talk for the first time, see them work out and so forth. um, There's uh, Tremendous value in the Senior Bowl compared to the Pro Bowl in an
0: act. Well, the crazy thing, and as I remember being in Mobile a few times, like in the Combine, these interviews are like in secret, you know, rooms. You don't have any yeah. access. Yeah. These, these teams will get guys in there, and you know, four a.m. in the morning, where no media knows about it. <laughs> You go to the Senior Bowl, and it's in this gigantic hotel, this beautiful convention yeah. center, and there's just guys hanging out in the lobby talking to GMs, talking to head coaches. It's right. it's really right. interesting and for a football fan. It needs to be on your bucket list because you get a lot out of it, and uh, I know I've certainly enjoyed being out there, and, and as we wrap up, Brent, there's a lot of talent out there this year. I mean, you'll at the quarterbacks alone. Bo Nix is there. Michael Penix is there. Joe Milton is there, just to name a few. So not only is there a lot of interviews going on, but when those practices begin this week, there's going to be a lot of people there looking at a lot of prospects.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot about that. And you've got guys um, that uh, really can come through. To, uh, Dev Walker, the wide receiver of North Carolina, is like one of these guys. Uh, A.J. Barner, the Michigan tight end. Um, I mean, and, and the, the great thing about this is Troy has a running back named Vidal, uh, Commander Vidal. And, and look, the senior, the, the senior bow is just set up for guys like that, right? Uh, it, it, you know, that old saying of uh, it doesn't matter where they play, the NFL will find them. Well, this is a great opportunity for a lot of these guys who probably a lot of people haven't even heard of uh, to really shine and show what they can do. So um, it, it's a, it's a tremendous uh, fact finding uh, and, and really an opportunity for these players to, uh, Uh, to, to get to know people who may end up drafting them before it's over.
0: You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, enjoyed it as always. Next week, we'll see what's going on in the world of college football. We might even talk a little Super Bowl and have a college twist to it when we get back together. Appreciate you, my friend.
4: And I'll tell you one thing. You hit it a few minutes ago. Believe it or not, there are going to be some schools Uh, in the next two weeks, starting spring practice. So uh, uh, it always seems real early, but some coaches want to do that so they can get it out of the way in case there's an injury.
0: And you want to get it done before spring break. When you talk to a lot of coaches, they like getting spring football done before the guys leave for their spring vacation. Appreciate you, Brent. You too, brother. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville as the high school spotlight rolls on. The coaching carousel rolls on. There is a brand-new man in charge at Baldwin High School. His name is Don Velvet. After eight years on the staff on the defensive side of the ball, Coach Velvet now gets the head coaching job out there at Baldwin. Coach,
1: congratulations. Hey, thank you very much, Hacker. I appreciate it. Hey, Coach,
0: thank you for joining us. And uh, take us through the process. Obviously, very successful run for Baldwin as of late with both Steve Shields and Rob Shields. Uh, Coach Rob Shields decides to step away, and you get promoted to the head coaching job. You must be very excited.
1: Yes, very excited for the opportunity. Uh, Grateful for Rob and uh, Steve Shields for affording me the opportunity here. Uh, they've, you know, built a successful program, um, given the opportunity to pretty much, you know, take the program to the next step or, or, or you know, to another level because we've been a successful program here for the last, say, about 10 years.
0: You know, it's interesting from the time you arrived at Baldwin to where you are now and taking over the head coaching job. I mean, clearly Baldwin High School football, there's a different thought about it now than maybe what there was, like you said, about a decade ago how has the process been from a guy like you who's seen a lot of it on that staff
1: man it, it, it's been a it's been a long process but man we've, we've been able to get kids here and and, and develop uh, a program that that where you know we have a niche to where we have a middle school that's attached to our high school so uh it, it helps us out to develop kids you know from a from an earlier standpoint uh to where we can have those kids help us out as freshmen and sophomores we've been you know Fairly young, year after year, but it's because of that middle school uh, that we can you know, help to train those guys to develop them, and, and they could be available to us a lot earlier than most.
0: Don Velvet is the brand-new head coach at Baldwin. We mentioned Rob Shields and the success that he had. He's decided to step away. Uh, what have your conversations been like with Coach Shields? I would imagine that he will still be just a phone call away if you need any guidance or anything. How is that dynamic going to work, Coach?
1: Well, uh, actually, he's still going to be a part of the staff here uh, for for this upcoming season. Man, I'm getting the ultimate support from he and uh, uh, Steve Shields. Um, You know, they are passing the torch on, but they'll still be teaching within the school and they'll also be still a part of the program. Uh, So, you know, even though they're passing the torch on to me, uh, they'll be helping. uh, uh, I expect Rob to help me with our JV program and Steve to help me with the middle school program. So they'll be still around the program just, you know, just for this year to see me through. And then from from that going forward, you know, it'll be, be my show to run.
0: What will a Don Velvet coached Baldwin football team look like? What are some of the things you want to instill in your players?
1: Well, uh, n- number one thing, man, we want to build tradition like the good programs have, man. Uh, uh, we, like I said before, we've been successful for the last few years. We want to, you know, reach the next step in that and start competing for districts and, and state titles on a regular basis. Uh, but what I'm looking for is to get the commitment from the kids uh, that that you know the off season workouts. Uh, you know, the off season is the biggest season to me. Um, so a lot of the off-season workouts, man, we're gonna you know attack it like we've already started. Um, and as far as what I want to see is, uh, us do is, is, again, man, the dedication. Now, nowadays, your, your kids have so many things that deter them from uh, you know the extracurricular activities or the after-school activities. To have our kids dedicated, man, and so we can take that next step uh, because you know that's ultimately what we need.
0: A couple more for Coach Don Velvet, the brand new head coach out there at Baldwin High School. Coach, you have a defensive background, the defensive coordinator out there for many years. Um, talk about you as a defensive coach, your philosophy. Is it attack, attack, attack? How do you, How do you phrase what you want to do on the defensive side of the ball?
1: Well, we, we we've I've, since I've started at D.C., I, I consider we you know, we, we have a brand uh, of football we play, which is fast, physical and smart. That's what we've I've been preaching for the last five to eight years, man, just being fast, physical and smart. And we'll let the chips, you know, fall where they may. So that's that's all I teach, man. I try to, you know, keep the game plan simple, you know, so guys don't have to think as much and and, and you know, Teaching to just you know just get stronger, just get bigger. Let's get faster so we can play the kind of ball or physical brand of ball that I like.
0: You know more times than not on the college gridiron and on the high school gridiron, when a a guy is promoted within the staff, there's not a lot of turnover on that staff. It's basically whatever's working. Let's keep going. Do you envision a lot of turnover on your staff, or do you believe that you're the head coach now and 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 most of the guys that were already in place? will remain in place at least for 2024.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's it. We'll, we'll definitely keep, you know, I'd say about 80% of the staff will stay the same. Uh, we like what we have, you know, going here, and I don't want to change much. You know, maybe, to, you know, bring in a couple guys. Um, and, and when I say a couple guys, it'll probably be a, a lot of the young guys from years past to help them, that they came through the program and want to see the program get to where we have the tradition and the recognition that we're looking for. So, uh, you know, the majority of the staff will stay, you know, and and we'll keep everything consistent, you know, as it's been going for the last, you know, seven, eight years. And, you know, the few guys that we probably do or I probably do bring in, they'll probably be youth, you know, so that we have some youth to deal with these young kids that we are dealing with today.
0: New, New districts are out, Coach, and obviously you guys are in the district with the Bulls, Bulldogs. That's certainly a challenge, but it's a heck of an opportunity as well, how much of that is going to be kind of a motivating tool this off season for you to tell your kids, "Hey, we got to train, we got to get right because we have a heck of an opportunity against Bowls later on this year."
1: Man, man, h- highly motivated for the challenge. You know, Bowls has that tradition and, and, and recognition that we're so wanting uh, to have. So to be able to have an opportunity to play against a, a program like a Bowls that that you know, I don't care generation to generation, everybody knows what Bowls is about. You know, it doesn't matter what, you know, if it's football, basketball or whatever, they always, you know, one of those schools that are competing. So, you know, what we want to have, they already have. So it's a it's a great opportunity that you know, that we have those guys in our district and we're going to look at it as an opportunity and, and, you know, start our offseason looking at, you know, looking at a team like Bowles because a team like Bowles, again, they're they're, they're, pretty much a, a state contender every year.
0: Final moments with head coach Don Velvet. Coach, what about you? You alluded to it a little earlier, but expand on it. Eight years as a defensive assistant and a coordinator, and now you get the job, man. You're the head coach at Baldwin High School. I mean, with the opportunity for you, you must be very, very excited about what's to come.
1: Yes, excited. Uh, you know, definitely want to come out here and continue what we've had. Uh, it's been it's it's actually been fun since I've been here. Uh, it, you know, to be able to watch the program actually go from what it was back in 2015 to what it is current. Uh, to, to see the change, to 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 see the kids that you know we have you know seniors and, and uh, that that haven't never had a week, I'm sorry a losing season, uh, whereas opposed to when I first came in it was just the opposite. So uh, to, to see the program grow to where it is, I'm very excited for the opportunity I have. Uh, just want to be able to keep your train on the track, man, and, 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 you know, get to the next destination, which would, you know, ultimately be district titles and state.
0: Coach, final question. I mean, look, you got the job. Obviously, you're on staff already. Now you're just promoted to the head job. What's next over the next couple of weeks and months leading in to spring football, as I'm sure your off-season program will really ramp up?
1: Yeah, uh, main thing, man, it, it, the off-season program has already started for us. What I am learning is is, is there's a lot more to uh, uh, the administrative part when it comes to being a head coach than, you know, just X's and O's. So right now I'm just, you know, getting all the administrative things done and, and equipment, inventoried and stuff of, of that nature, all the non-football stuff. Uh, but uh, outside of that, when, when I'm not doing that, man, we, we've already started our uh, off-season workouts where we're in the weight room and uh, we we, we have a a little work uh, conditioning work that we do after school. So, yeah, we've already hit the track running.
0: Well, Coach, congratulations, Don Velvet, the brand-new head coach out of Baldwin High School. We'll check back in around spring drills, Coach, see how things are going, but best of luck over the coming weeks and months.
1: Hey, I appreciate it, and I thank thank you for everything that you do. Back here on
0: 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The end of January means the coaching carousel on the high school football gridiron is normally wrapped up around this time of year. Sandalwood's job is now full. We know about Jackson's job being full. There are a couple of outliers, but most of the jobs in the area for the high school football programs that we cover have new men in charge. We have new districts. A lot of questions about those districts as well, and a lot more to get into with that. Let me welcome in Justin Barney of Channel 4. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Justin, how we doing, man?
5: Not too bad, Hawk. Thanks. Everything kind of uh, speeds up and accelerates. Uh, hope to be talking about Jaguars in the playoffs at this point, uh, but uh, that obviously is not the case. So uh, full speed ahead in high school and hitting some uh, postseasons coming up and uh, soccer and basketball and spring sports starting. So busy time of year.
0: Yeah, no question about that. And part of that busy time is the new districts in football. And, Justin, I know you and a lot of people around the state, quite frankly, that cover the high school football scene not happy. A lot of a lot of outcry about some of these districts, particularly those of the two and three team variety. What is the FHSAA doing, man? Some of these districts are odd, Justin.
5: Yeah, it's it's just it's it's weird. And I go back to the board of directors meeting back in December where there was really almost a feel of it being rushed and, and a decision to really shake up the playoffs from the suburban metro and take it back to an enrollment based system. Um, was really kind of accelerated. And I I think even members of the board were a little surprised that uh, they were voting on something so um, impactful with still not a lot of data, not a lot of information, and still a lot of talking points that needed to be addressed. So uh, I think it started back then. And then you, when you go back and you analyze these new districts, new classification assignments, um, yeah, it really just looks like what we've seen previously. And we still don't know exactly what the playoff system is going to look like. Um, it's going to be some form of uh, the max prep rating points and, and district champions going to the playoff. But we still don't know that for sure. And again, when when you look at the state and district assignments and you've got districts where there's two and three teams in there is just unacceptable to me I think you need four teams as a as a floor um, you know the fhsa has been a little bit uh, stung with teams leaving um, USA Today Network uh, John Santucci did a really good story last week uh, that looked at the growing membership of the Sunshine State Athletic Association uh, when you started off that association with eight teams uh, about a decade ago and now you're over a hundred uh, football teams in that uh, that SSAA that shows a little bit of dissatisfaction or um, you know just teams looking for alternatives to what the FHSA offers and I think that's a pretty telling mark when you have so many teams you know the Fernandina Beaches the West Nassau's. Uh, Even like the Frostproofs, which was a state champion back uh, in 99, I believe, Um, you got those teams jumping ship from the FHSA and going independent. Um, That really kind of shows you that something needs to change. And I I think we're we're taking a step back with this new playoff system. I thought Suburban Metro did some good things. And I think you probably needed to build off of that or at least look at tinkering with that instead of going back to how it was. And I do think you're going to see a lot of the schools continue to leave the FHSA for uh, for better options. you know, and the big schools won't do it, but I do think it's just enough. Where it creates these two and three teams district just because you don't have enough schools in that enrollment uh, in that enrollment bracket to fit uh, and to make up a, a bigger district. So uh, I don't uh, I don't envy the FHSA and what they're up against, but I do think it speaks to the just kind of the dissatisfaction and uh, the the kind of the hastiness of which this thing has been put together.
0: Justin Barney of Channel Four. Justin, I want to get back to the districts in a moment, but you mentioned West Nassau and Fernandina Beach essentially leaving the FHSAA look Stanton and Paxson did this a couple of years ago and and you think okay well Stanton and Paxson you can somewhat understand that with their academic curriculum but when you have teams like West Nassau and Fernandina doing it West Nassau who was consistently in the playoffs over the last decade that was an eye-opener for me I mean what are your thoughts on that and is this something we could see more in our area
5: yeah, I think so. I think it, it really speaks to that. But when you're a, a Fernandina Beach and a West Nassau and you're in a district with, you know, a Bowles and a Baldwin, it just doesn't you know, you're not going to be able to beat with those those teams on a year to year basis. So um, I understand it. I think the SSAA gives teams you know that are not going to be competing for traditional state titles, an opportunity to, to compete with more light teams and, and teams, you know, no matter how good you are at West Nassau or for any to beach, you're not going to be able to, to stand in there and bang with bowls on a year-to-year basis. It's just not going to happen, and uh, that's through no fault of, of those schools in Nassau County, but you're just not going to be able to do it. And uh, that's when you look at a lot of the schools. You know, the Frostproof, I mean, I, I covered a state championship game back in 99 where Frostproof beat Trinity Christian for a state championship, and, you know, Frostproof left the FHSA last week, can uh, join the, the Sunshine State Athletic Conference. So, uh, athletic association, so I do think there's validity to some of these schools uh, that are jumping in and looking for better options to, um, you know, to have a little bit more level playing field.
0: How hard will it be for Fernandina and West Nassau, Justin, to have a 10-game football schedule, though?
5: Yeah, I think you're going to still be able to get them. You know, and uh, you look at it's teams in the area. You're still going to be able to play local teams. You know, even if you're not playing the bowls and the Baldwin's, you're still going to be able to play local teams who are in your kind of situation. Um, and and I think it, yeah, in a sense, it it may maybe creates a little bit more of a challenge to to schedule teams when you don't have that district per se that locks in. Three, four, five games, but I think it, it's better for schools like the Stantons, the Paxons, uh, the Fernandina Beaches, and, and West Nassau's to be able to to get in there and have a a uh, little bit more of a fairer opportunity to compete with schools of, uh, of like size. It's no fun uh, for a team getting beat by a Bulls or Bulls beating a team. Uh, that significantly, it just doesn't it does no no good for either either of the programs involved in
0: that. Justin Barney of Channel 4, back to the districts for one moment. You said it earlier. I don't understand why this is so complicated or so hard. Why is there just not a rule that districts need to be a minimum of four or five teams? I mean, why do they have to complicate this and make this so difficult?
5: Yes, I don't like it. I don't like a two-team district or a three-team district, which you have a, a good bit of those in the state now with how many teams have uh, have left, have got out and wanted to do the independent route? So I don't know if the answer is you go down a class, you go from, you know, 7A to, to 6A being the high where you're able to spread out that, uh, that gap a little bit more and create some better districts. I just don't think it's fair to give an automatic playoff spot if that's what they're going to do. To a team that essentially has to win one game in the district. I just don't think that's right. And I think you need to have some competition. I think there needs to be a floor of, say, four teams Um, or look at, you know, look at reducing the classes. I mean, it's not a participation trophy. You can't get every team that suits up to to an equitable chance to make the playoffs. You just can't do it. So uh, but I do think it needs to be not diluted as much where you can have a little bit more competition where where we get rid of these three and four team districts. I I like what they do in Georgia. I do like the fact that it's separated by regions. I do think regions uh, up there are pretty solid in terms of uh, you're not going to have a two team region. Um, So I do like that. I look, I I like a a super region kind of format for Florida. If you're going to have a lot of transfers, you're going to have a lot of kids that are uh, using that open enrollment uh, leeway. I do think there should be a multiplier in a sense, you know, if school A has, uh, 250 open enrollment or transfer students. They need to to have that reflected in that enrollment number. I, I think something needs to happen where you get rid of, of these tiny districts. You put a floor in there and uh, you have some of those uh, multipliers in a sense that help level some of these transfer situations out.
0: Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, final thought on the districts. Anything catch you off guard, either teams teams? Going up in classification or going down in classification?
5: Yeah, probably the biggest thing was last December when they announced that was uh, you know Mandarin coming down from 7A to 6A. You know, with Mandarin, uh, with Atlantic Coast right down the street from Mandarin now and kind of taking away some of that student population. Mandarin is no longer in that in that 7A bracket with uh, with the Sandalwood. So uh, you've got that district 17A, which is now Atlantic Coast, Creekside, and Sandalwood. uh, And then when you jump down to, to 6A. You've got a District 26A with First Coast Fletcher mandarin and oak leaf so i think that's probably the biggest change for me is as uh, you're going from a mandarin who's been in the largest classification be it 8a or 7a or, uh, for what seems like forever uh you're dropping down into 6a and same thing with Bartram trail you've been in the biggest classification for a little bit of time and now uh with the, the enrollment numbers what they are um you know Beachside opened up to to help a little bit of a uh, easement on Bartram trail so you've got Bartram trail playing in the uh, the next to the highest classification there and there with Buholt's niece and Tokoy creek
0: you mentioned Sand. They have a brand new man in charge—a guy that's been around for a while, including stops at Bishop Kenny, Ponavedra, and most recently Nice. Tell us about Coach Kessel, the new coach at Sandalwood.
5: Yeah, I talked to him last week, and he was fired up, man. He was excited to get his first head coaching opportunity. Um, you know, when you look at, at guys who've just been coordinators or assistants for a long time, um, you know they may be either. You know, didn't want a head coaching job or um, had been overlooked for it, but man, he said he has just liked being a coordinator. He's liked doing that and gaining that experience. Uh, he wanted the right opportunity for his first head coaching chance, and uh, he said that was Sandalwood. Sandalwood has that tradition, that history. Um, Adam Geist did a remarkable job there at Sandalwood for a long time and in keeping the Saints one of the most uh, consistent teams in our area. You've had Super 11 guys that grew on trees there for a little bit. Uh, you had guys that we're just going to big-time colleges. Sandalwood's played a national TV game uh, on ESPN two years ago. So you, you go into a good situation if you're Brad Kessel. And coming off the only winless season in Sandalwood history, That's a you've got to do something to get that offense clicking again. Sandalwood is not the Sandalwood of old where you you look at the team and there would be 90, 100 guys on the sideline. The uh, enrollment numbers slipped a little bit, and I was just surprised last year going to a Sandalwood game and seeing how few bodies they had on the sideline. So uh, it's a different time – at some of these public schools Sandalwood being one of those um, but I think Brad is, is relishing that opportunity he has that interim coaching experience where yeah he, uh, he had five games at Pontevedra after Jeff DeSandro retired or uh, resigned mid season so uh, I think he's excited for that chance You know, built a good defense at Nice they were a district champ last year and as you said he's got stops at uh, several schools in the area but I know he is pumped up and ready to get going and rebuilding Sandalwood
0: I mean it's been quiet by and large, on the coaching carousel front. Now, the last two years have been crazy, and maybe that's why it just seems quiet than usual. But by by my count, only, what, five or six new head coaches in the area this year, right?
5: Yeah, and that's uh, that's a little bit of a, a shakeup, because last year we were at 19, uh, and some I think a couple schools even switched twice. So, uh, yeah, it's it's much, much quieter this offseason, and I think we'll still have maybe a couple head coaching changes uh, by the time we get done with spring practice, as it seems to be always the case where a coach or two will leave right after that. But, yeah, much, much quieter and uh, a more stable offseason after really two uh, pretty significant offseason, including 19 changes last
0: year. Justin, I want to get on the Jaguars to wrap up here. Before we do that, you mentioned basketball, some of the other sports coming down the home stretch. Let us know what we need to know. I know there was a really good one between Reigns and Paxson on the hardwood.
5: Yeah, you know, great week of Gateway Basketball I was out there for a couple of those games and uh, Jackson, James Collins, just finding ways to get it done. They had a great semifinal win over Rebolt, Um, and uh, they lost to Rebolt earlier in the year, so they have just been on a tear. James Collins, his team, he's built a pretty uh, consistent one over there off Main Street. They won five of the last seven Gateway Championships uh, and they beat Reigns on Saturday afternoon to get that one. Uh, Paxton, the Paxton girls won in the uh, Gateway Championship for them. That was the first time uh, for the golden eagles to grab that one. And we got districts coming up here soon. I expect uh, the consistent ones in there to be Providence, Episcopal, uh, Rebult, Jackson, Range, those kind of guys. I think we're gonna have a slew of our area teams. Going to uh, going to the playoffs, getting on the dance floor, but I look for maybe a couple teams. You look at a Jackson, a Providence uh, to have that success and get to that
0: state final four. Do you expect – you mentioned a couple of the state final four. Would it be a disappointment if, if anybody did not get to the state final four? Do you think there's the talent in this area to get to the final four and even bring home a state title?
5: Uh, State title is probably uh, an up-in-the-air one. You know, Bishop Kenny girls have a good uh, opportunity to get there. They've been very consistent in getting to the Final Four, be it under uh, Charles C. Clark or uh, uh, Will Mayer. But, you know, winning that final game, they had a chance last year to do it. BK has been number one in our uh, Super Six pretty much all season, followed by Providence. Providence has a good chance to get back to the Final Four as well. On the girls' side, Gigi Bistro, a very, very good team. But, you know, we've not had a boys' basketball team win a state championship uh, for quite some time. That that, uh, that drought's coming up on 10 years. I believe 2016 was the last time for an area team uh, on the boys' side to win a state championship. That was Bulls. So uh, we'll see if uh, we we'll see if that can end this year. But you know, James Collins and Jackson have been uh, pretty money in getting to that
0: final four round. Justin Barney of Channel Four, Justin, leave us with this. We spoke three weeks ago after the Jaguars season ended. A lot has transpired in the last 21 or so days from a new defensive coordinator to a lot of rumors, right, swirling around the organization. What do you make of what's going on with the Jaguars as free agency looms about six weeks away?
5: Yeah, it just, it just feels like it's uh, directionless almost. I mean, the, I don't know if the power struggle talk is real. I mean, Trent Baalke seemed to shoot that down, but you really don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Obviously, balky has had a, a checkered run here in Jacksonville, Barry Jekyll and Hyde, um, and you wonder if, if Doug Peterson can't kind of – turn things around this year if that seat really gets hot uh, despite the good work that he's done back-to-back nine and eight seasons um, that you wonder if uh, Shad Khan will start looking for, uh, for some new brain trust to get that Jaguar ship back on track and um, I, I like the Ryan Nielsen, hires defensive coordinator, but you got to get some Jimmys and Joes in there. Uh, you got to beef up that offensive line, got to beef up that defensive line, add a big-time receiver um, to get this team. I mean, it really is amazing how, uh, how much this roster just seems like it fell apart and is, uh, is devoid of so much talent in just certain areas. They've got to have a massive offseason to get things right.
0: What's your early thought on the Super Bowl, San Francisco and Kansas City?
5: Man, I was really pulling for the Lions to get up there. I have a couple friends who are diehard Lions fans, and it would have been so cool to see them get there, pulling for our old friend Mark Burnell up there. Obviously didn't do it, but you know the Lions, who I, who I thought the Jaguars would have been this year, and that just was not the case. So cool to see that underdog story play out right in front of us. But I'm going to have to say the Chiefs, you can't go against Mahomes and and Kelsey and Andy Reid. He just finds a way to get it done.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. They are unbelievable in going to another Super Bowl. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, always appreciate the time. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks.
5: Take care, Hack. Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you to Justin Barney of Channel 4 for joining us tonight here on the High School Spotlight on Hacker After Dark. My big takeaway Of the evening, well, congratulations to Evan Ingram for being named a Pro Bowler. And look, it was a joke that he wasn't named a Pro Bowler already. I mean, the guy had 114 catches this year, too shy of the all-time NFL single season record among tight ends. He became only the second Jaguar in franchise history to have over 100 catches in a single season, uh, doing what Jimmy Smith did. Jimmy did it twice in his time here in Jacksonville. That's a pretty good list in Jaguar history when it's you and Jimmy Smith and that's it on a list. That's pretty good and that's the company Evan Ingram found himself in. And as we get further away from the collapse, right? Further away from the end of the season and closer to free agency and the franchise tag and you know the offseason really hitting up we can begin to take stock a little bit of at least some of the positives that happened down the stretch. There were not a lot, obviously, when you lose five out of six to go from eight and three to flat out missing the playoffs. There's certainly not a lot of positives, not a lot of sugarcoating that. But one of the positives was clearly Evan Ingram and the impact he has made. And I think there is a real argument already. You know, you talk about the best free agents that this franchise has ever signed, From my friend Leon Searcy to uh, certainly guys of that sort. Um, Christian Kirk is probably on that short list right now. Evan Ingram is probably on that short list right now. You know, you think back to Calais Campbell, obviously, the mayor of Saxonville, on and on and on. Clearly, Trent Balky bringing in a guy like Ingram. That was an absolute home run. And again, congratulations to Evan Ingram today for being officially named to the Pro Bowl. Again, they don't play the Pro Bowl football game any longer. They'll be down in Orlando playing flag football and dodgeball and the skills competition and all that. It's not so much the event, but it's the recognition of now being a Pro Bowler once again for Jaguar tight end Evan Ingram. Well, that'll just about do it, our late-night show. It's been a very busy evening here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We certainly – Appreciate you listening. We have a lot of people to thank. Again, Justin Barney of Channel 4 for stopping by. Always enjoy the conversation. Thank you to brand-new Baldwin High School football coach Don Velvet for joining us he takes over for Rob Shields. Rob Shields did a terrific job out at Baldwin. He steps aside, and now Don Velvet will take the reins of the Baldwin High School football program, and we appreciate Coach Velvet for joining us this evening. Thank you to my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark, talking Florida, Florida State, kind of the Jim Harbaugh legacy in college football, the Senior Bowl. We certainly hit on a lot of topics there. And back in hour number one, my buddy Jamal St. Cyr of Channel 4, always talking Jaguars with Jamal, and we certainly appreciate that conversation. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us on our late night show on a Tuesday here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD. Have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.